0: Reading today is from 1 Corinthians 3. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but not as people of the flesh. Sorry, let me start that again. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the word of life or death, or the present, or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's.
1: Thank you, Connie. I just like to offer a brief word before today's sermon to address my brief words before last Sunday's sermon. Um, it got back to me that some people were um, were hurt and confused. by by my comments last week regarding COVID and the challenge for our congregation to not be afraid. Now, friends, we've been walking together through COVID for almost three years now, and we're weary, aren't we? We're on edge. Now, last week before the sermon, I wasn't trying to make policy statements. I hope to offer you a pastoral encouragement in a season that has been discouraging, And I'd hoped that my words would be a rallying call not to give up in the midst of a season that feels like lots and lots of setback. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm tempted to give into my own fears and just give up. So I just need you to please believe I did not mean in any way to malign, impugn, or condemn anyone and their choices. I said then and I say now, be wise. Wise doesn't necessarily mean fearful. You may need to choose to stay home if you have pre-existing conditions, if you're in contact with vulnerable populations. Those things are not fearful. But we want to be wise and not fearful. And friends, the thing that frightens me most about COVID is that it doesn't just separate us physically. Fear ultimately separates us relationally. It separates us from one another. It causes us to become suspicious and to accuse and to refuse the benefit of the doubt. It causes us not to speak directly with one another to clarify or understand. Fear will ultimately divide us. So I stand by my comments last week. Chestnut Street, do not be afraid. Gathered or scattered, masked or unmasked, vaxxed or unvaxxed, vulnerable or invulnerable, Chestnut Street family, do not be afraid. We have been. And we continue to be in this together. And by God's grace, we're going to come out the other side of this together. And so as we journey, let's be wise. And let's not be afraid. Okay, enough getting myself in trouble again this week. On to the important stuff. Today's text. First Corinthians chapter 3, which Connie just read for us. Thank you, Connie. And friends, we can sum up Paul's words here in 1 Corinthians 3 by saying, Grow up. Paul's message in this chapter is, Grow up. And specifically, Paul's words here follow three general movements Grow up, build up, wise up. Grow up, build up, wise up. And in fact, if you're taking notes, you can even write down, Grow up, verses 1 through 9, Build up, verses 10 through 17, And rise up, verses 18 through 23. And even if you're not taking notes, I hope you're following in your own Bible. um, Or if you want, in the Pew Bibles, it's on page 1132 of the Pew Bibles. So that you can follow along and see Paul's thought as we move through 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, Now Paul tells the church to grow up. And he's really not subtle. Paul's not known for his subtlety when you read through his letters. And he's not subtle here. Look at verses 1 through 3. I, but I, brothers and sisters, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. I mean, Paul's not subtle. He basically says, hey, listen, you guys are a bunch of big babies. You're mere infants in Christ. He says to the Corinthians, you're not acting like spiritual people, but people of the flesh. So what does that mean? People of the flesh. You know, even if you don't know what that that sentence or that statement itself means, you can can see from the structure that he's setting up a contrast. In verse 1, he's contrasting spiritual people with people of the flesh. So even if you don't immediately understand what that means, we can see that it's being set up as kind of the opposite of, or at least opposed to, being spiritual. Being of the flesh, being of the spirit. He's setting them up against one another. And if we did a survey of all of Paul's other letters, we would find that whenever he uses this term, the flesh, he's usually referring to our human nature without Jesus. To our natural human nature without Jesus. Those who are in the flesh are those who are led by their natural sin-twisted desires and thus their behaviors that result. And Paul is criticizing the church in Corinth. He's saying, you guys apparently are people of the flesh and not people of the spirit. Because remember, last Sunday we learned about spiritual people. We talked about getting spiritual. And we're not going to play my little song again like we did last week. But the call was to get spiritual. Spiritual. And spiritual doesn't mean what the world today talks about as spiritual. I'm spiritual but not religious. That's what the world today says. Biblically, spiritual means of and in and led by the Spirit of God. And Paul says, Church in Corinth, you're clearly not spiritual people, people of the Spirit. You're a bunch of big babies. You're infants in Christ. And I can tell because your lives are producing the fruit of of the flesh and not the fruit of the spirit within because my life is producing fruit and your life is producing fruit all of our lives are producing some sort of fruit and Paul says to the church in Corinth and the church in Camden look at the type of fruit that your life is producing I mean we know this from nature don't we apple trees produce apples orange trees Produce orange. Trees produce fruit according to their kind. And Paul says to the church in Corinth and the church in Camden today, what kind of fruit is the tree producing? What kind of fruit is your life producing? Last Sunday, we read about spiritual fruit. The, the, the fruit when the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. And we read Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, where it says, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And joy, peace, and patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But Paul says, when when you're spiritual people, when you're, you're people of the Spirit, and the Spirit is within, what's produced, the fruit that's produced, are these type of attitudes and actions, love and joy and peace and patience and all the like. But, if you're not a spiritual person, then you're a person who's led by your natural desires, by your flesh. And in Galatians 5, he gives another list. If Those, what we just read, were the fruit of a a life controlled by the Spirit. What about a life that's led by the flesh, by the natural desires that we have? And we see in Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21, he gives us a list of this fruit. He says, now the works, or the fruit of the flesh, are evident. (laughs) Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So Paul says, all of our lives are producing some sort of fruit, and the fruit indicates the root. The fruit indicates the root. A tree produces fruit according to its kind, fleshly or spiritual. And Paul says to the church in Corinth, I see the attitude and the actions that your lives are producing. And it's evidence that you're still operating in the flesh. You're operating in your old, natural, sin-twisted desires. You're not operating in the Spirit. You're merely infants in Christ. So it's time to grow up. It's time to grow up, church. And in fact, Paul even identifies exactly what he's seeing in verses 3 and 4. He says, while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not merely human or fleshly? So, the two words that he uses here, he says, the indications that I'm seeing are jealousy and strife. Jealousy and strife. Now, for those of you that were really astute, you might have heard when I read that list in 1 Corinthians 5 of the fruit of the flesh, these same two words, jealousy and strife, were in that list right next to each other. Paul says the fruit of the flesh, of being led by our natural desires, is naturally jealousy and strife. And the word that's translated right here as jealousy in our English is is a Greek word, zealous, where we get our word zeal or zealousness. So, in fact, it's translated as zealous in some of Paul's other usage in his other letters. So here in 1 Corinthians, Paul's saying, some of you have a zeal for your favorite teachers. And a zeal that's causing strife and division in the church. And the word for strife that he uses right here in chapter 3, we've already seen him use it back in chapter 1. In chapter 1, verse 11, he starts off this letter saying, It's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling, that's that word, strife, among you, my brothers. See, See, what's the fruit that's going on in the church? I see quarreling, I see strife, I see people zealous, for their teachers, for their opinion, for their position, and it's causing division. You're zealous. You're saying, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. And you're causing strife and division. I mean, do you hear that? The crazy thing about it, or maybe not so crazy, is that Paul, Apollos, Cephas, these are all good things. I mean, these are good teachers. They were God's good gift given to the church But when people zealously argued for their preferences and advanced their positions in an unhealthy way, it ultimately caused strife and division within the church. And and when they did that, Paul points out right there at the end of verse 4, are you not merely being human? Are you not just operating in the flesh and not in the spirit? You're zealous in all the wrong ways, and it's causing strife and division. And friends, we need to understand that this was a danger for the church in Corinth, but it's also a danger for the church today in Camden. When we zealously hold to, insist on our own preferences and positions, we too can become guilty of operating out of the flesh and causing strife and division. Now, whether it's a a preference and position on covid or a social position, or a political candidate, or a church decision, or a secondary theological issue, we can become zealous for our opinions and preferences and what we want in a way that causes strife and division like it was in the church in Corinth. Now friends, there's nothing wrong with holding strong opinions and positions on any of those issues, but Paul warns us. He warns us about the type of zealousness that can grow up from our flesh, that wants to advance and won't let go of something, no matter what kind of strife and division we cause. Now, hear me correctly, there are issues, church, there are issues to which I want you to zealously and uncompromisingly hold. There are primary issues of our faith, such as the deity of Jesus Christ, his atoning death on the cross, his bodily resurrection on the third day, salvation by grace through faith alone. I want you to zealously and uncompromisingly hold to an unchanging biblical morality in the midst of an ever-shifting culture. However, Paul warns us about our very human and fleshly tendency to become zealous about the right things and in the wrong ways. We can be zealous for the right things in the wrong ways. We can exalt secondary things, preferences, and opinions to primary things. And our misplaced zeal can become divisive. And it can become destructive as we see it in the Corinthian church. And in response to this, Paul says, grow up. Grow up. You are to be a spiritual people, not led by the zealousness that comes out of your flesh to be proven right. Not out of the zealousness of your flesh that wants to get your own way. Not out of the zealousness of your flesh that wants to promote your own opinion. Grow up into spiritual people led by the Spirit. And and Paul readjusts their understanding of the current controversy in Corinth in verses 5 through 9. He says, let's understand these teachers correctly. In verses 5 through 9, he says, look, these teachers are your servants. They're not your saviors. Paul, Apollos, Cephas, these people are your servants. They're not your saviors. So stop treating them as such. Paul planted, Apollos watered, but only God makes things grow. And to complete the analogy, Paul says in verse 9, you are God's field. And so, friends, if we are like God's field, then Paul, Apollo, Cephas are workers in that field. The field should not worship the farmer. The field should exult in the one who makes the sun shine, the rainfall, and who alone causes growth. Paul says, stop putting us on a pedestal. We are merely God's fellow workers. So if you want to be zealous, church, be zealous. For Christ, be zealous for the well-being and health of his church. And Paul continues with a second image, that of a building. I feel like verse 9 almost might have been better served if there was a period there, a full stop. You are God's field, full stop, New you thought. You're God's building. Because Paul is shifting from agriculture to architecture. And in verse 10, he says, God used me to lay a foundation for the church there in Corinth. And now other leaders, other persons are building on the foundation that I laid. And Paul reminds them the foundation of the church, the foundation of the church there in Corinth is not Paul, it's Christ. I may have been used to lay, lay that foundation, but the foundation of your church is not me and it's not any other human leader. It is Jesus Christ in him alone. Friends, the songs that Jacob selected for us this morning celebrate the foundation of the church is Jesus Christ. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. On Christ alone, our hope is found. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. He is the rock of ages. Paul came to Corinth not preaching himself, but preaching Jesus Christ as Lord. Verse 11, no one, No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And now Paul is writing to the current leaders in the church in Corinth and he's saying, hey, stop trying to relay the foundation, guys. Stop trying to relay the foundation. Stop building as if Paul or Apollos or Cephas is the foundation. Christ is the foundation that I laid and He's the only foundation. So in these next verses, Paul's charging the leaders and the members of the Corinthian church to build up the church rightly. It started on Christ. It needs to be built up in and by Christ. Now, verses 10 through 15 in this chapter are are sometimes misunderstood. And and a couple of ways they're misunderstood. First, this is not about how an individual builds his or her life. This is about the building up of the church, and we're going to get to that. But also, I just want to note that this passage about passing through fire and testing what lasts and burning away the the straw and the stubble, this is not about some kind of purification that happens after death. The Roman Catholic Church derives their doctrine of purgatory and some kind of post-mortem purging or burning away of a person's sin from this passage. But friends, this passage doesn't teach any such thing. Verses 10 through 15 are clearly about how the leaders and the members are to build up the church. So again, this is the section build up, grow up, build up. And Paul talks about the founding of the church upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. And he says, okay, now as you're building up the church, you could use a lot of different materials or methods to build up this church, but you should build with what will last. If you're going to try to build up the church, build with what will last. Now, remember, the, the Corinthians are fighting about their favorite teachers, their favorite methods, their favorite preferences. Paul, sure, Paul says, "Yes, yeah, sure, we can build up this church based upon Apollos and the amazing rhetoric that he can do. We could build up this church based upon Cephas, who was Peter, the Apostle Peter, and his authority and the name recognition that he has as one of the original twelve disciples. We could build up this church based upon the nostalgia of me, Paul, who God used to found this church. However, will what you build with last? Will it stand the final judgment? Because Chestnut Street, we can build a church with lots of different ways and methods and materials. We could build up this church right here on personality. Come hear Adam's preaching. We could build up this church and try to attract a crowd with entertaining worship and consumer-driven methods. We could build upon market research and opinion polls. We could increase our numbers with relevant but unoffensive messages. We could compromise just a little to increase our market share. Or maybe we could lean heavily into nostalgia and try appealing to those people who are longing for a return to the good old days. We could build this church many ways. Personality, relevance, nostalgia, many different methods or materials. But church, what's going to last? What is going to stand the test? Paul's message is that the foundation is Jesus Christ. And as you build, continue to build with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because only Jesus will last. Paul has since perished. Apollos is no more. Cephas is gone. One day Adam's going to be gone as well. Entertainment will not long entertain us, consumers will themselves one day be consumed. Market research and opinions shift like the wind. Relevance soon becomes irrelevant. And compromise is an insatiable master always demanding a little bit more. Church, will any of that last? The gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ is the only thing that will last. Paul writes to the church in Corinth and the church in Camden. Church, Christ is your foundation. Don't try to build with Paul, Apollo, Cephas, Adam, entertainment or relevance. When the winds of the final judgment huff and puff, only the church built on and built with Jesus Christ will stand and every other building will fall. Paul says to the church in Corinth, if you want to be zealous, don't be zealous for any particular teacher, position, or opinion. Be zealous for Jesus Christ and for his gospel, because only Christ remains. And Paul goes on in verses sixteen and seventeen to warn the church in Corinth about destroying the church with their zealous selfishness. Now we need we need to be warned because people are quick to misunderstand verses sixteen and seventeen simply because English the English language does not have a second person plural. The English language does not have a second person plural unless you're in the South. Because then you have y'all. Y'all. Friends, in Greek, all of the you's in verses 16 and 17 are y'all. These are all plural. So listen to verses 16 and 17 understanding they're plural. Do you all not know that you all are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you all? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you all are that temple. You see, we, we regularly we want to apply these verses to the individual believer. But Paul's intention here, he's speaking to the whole church. The Corinthians are destroying God's temple, meaning God's church, by their misguided zealotry. Paul warns them God will judge the one who divides and destroys the community of the church. And that is a dire warning. It's a dire warning for then, and for now. Because when I exalt my issues, my preferences, my opinions zealously in a way that causes strife and division, when I come to worship my idea of church over the reality of the church, When I try to zealously and forcefully build the church according to me and my preferences, I am in danger of no longer building, but becoming a destroyer of the church. The German pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote about our human tendency to do this in a little book he wrote called Life Together. A wonderful, amazing little book. Bonhoeffer writes and he says, Those who love their dream, their idea of Christian community more than the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community. Even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. He warns, he says, when we love our dreams and our ideas of church, when we hold to our opinions and preferences instead of learning to love the real community that's in front of us, we are in danger of becoming destroyers of that community. And Bonhoeffer goes on and he says, God hates this kind of wishful dreaming because it makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. Proud and pretentious. Doesn't that describe what's going on in Corinth? Doesn't that describe what too often goes on in our own hearts and our own lives? People zealously and proudly advancing their teacher, their idea, their preference. Their wisdom. Friends, such wisdom is worldly, fleshly, and destructive. So Paul charges the church in Corinth and the church in Camden, grow up, build up, and he concludes by saying, wise up. Wise up, verses 18 through 23. He returns to the theme that we've heard over and over again so far in Corinthians, haven't we? The wisdom of God versus the so-called wisdom of this world. Paul says, "Your zealous boasting about mortal men, about mere teachers, is evidence that you are still babies. You need to grow up. It's evidence you're still operating from the flesh and not the spirit. And it's evidence you're still operating by the wisdom of this world and not the wisdom of God. So it's time to get wise. Grow up. Build up. Get wise. Remember, That Paul has been teaching that the wisdom of God, it looks like foolishness to this world. And the so-called wisdom of this world is actually foolishness in God's evaluation. So Paul says, stop trying to build the church according to the world's wisdom. Verse 18, he says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you think that he's wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Becoming a fool in the eyes of this world by embracing the very wisdom of God. Church, we need to understand things from God's perspective. In the world's eyes, teachers like Paul, Apollos, Cephas might be wise, appealing, and impressive. But ultimately, friends, we need to put them where they belong. They're servants of the church. See, Paul concludes by saying, Church, Paul, Apollos, Cephas, these teachers, you don't serve them, they serve you. They aren't your saviors. They're your servants. That's what he's saying in verses 21 through 23. He says, Let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. So what he's saying, he says, Church, God has given you these teachers. He gave you Paul. He gave you Apollos. He gave you Cephas, all for your benefit. Church, God's given you this world. God has given you life. God has given you this day, the present. And if you get tomorrow, God gives you the future too. All these things are yours, church. They're given to you by God for your benefit. So stop exalting the gifts over the giver. Stop exalting the gifts over the giver. The wisdom of God understands that Paul, Apollos, Cephas are rightly gifts from and servants of God. So don't be unwise, boasting in the gifts. Wise up and boast in Christ and in Christ alone. And so church, looking at this, how do we need to grow up? How do you need to grow up? Where do you see the the fruit of the old life? of the flesh rather than the fruit of the Spirit being produced in your life? Do your actions and your attitudes build up the church? Are there ways that your your zealousness over a secondary issue or your position or your opinion or your preferences have, have caused you to unnecessarily be part of division and strife? How do you and I need to wise up? How, how does our perspective need to still be changed so that we see And we understand people and situations not from our perspective, but from God's perspective. How are you still influenced by the world's so-called wisdom uh, on people and, and situations and decisions? Paul continues to challenge the church in Corinth and challenge us, the church in Camden. By what wisdom are you going to live? Grow up. Wise up so that Christ might use us to build up His church and to advance His kingdom now and here that He might receive glory forevermore. Let's pray together. Father, help us. Help us to wise up. Help us to grow up and use us to build up. For we want to see Your church built. We want to see your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want to see men, women, and children reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ, lives transformed, the captives set free, the blind given sight, the lame dancing, the mute singing for joy. Father, we want to be part of it. So here we are. Help us in your spirit to grow up, to wise up, and use us to build up. For your name's sake and for your glory, we pray. Amen. If the elders would come forward.